3. Open up your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3. Pull out your message notes. Fire up your app on your phone. You can get the message notes there as well. We're journeying through our Lenten season through the book of 1 John. We're to chapter 3 today. We're entitled this series, A Journey into Life. And John is about to make an amazing declaration of what he heard Jesus and witnessed Jesus portray about an entire new way of relating to God the Father. And we're going to look at it here, 1 John chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 1 to 3 today. Here's how John says it. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called, underline this in your Bibles, children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So back up to verse 1 now. I want you to look at the, the phrase I had you underline. Notice how John refers to God as the Father in verse 1. And then he connects it to a relationship with the people of Jesus now. Where he says, you as people of Jesus are called children of God. This is an astounding declaration because the history with the Jewish people would be the name that they used for God primarily didn't have any vowels in it at all. It was YWH, YWHW, so it was Yahweh, but they wouldn't, they took all the vowels out because it was to communicate a sense of, of reverence, a sense of uh, distance, uh, a sense of you, you kept your, you kind of kept your distance from this Yahweh figure. You didn't even use the name until Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus in Mark 14, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's about to lay down his life, he calls out to God for help. And in Mark 14, it's the first recorded reference of God being called Abba, Father. Our Abba, and I put in your notes, it literally means Papa. It means Daddy. It communicates an intimacy, a, a familiarity, a nearness in the relationship. And here John draws on that, having been around the scene with Jesus near the end. John, the oldest living disciple. This book was written around 85 AD or so. The church is about 50 years old or so. And John is writing to a young group of followers, kind of a young church getting going. And he's reminding them that their identity is that as Abba's child. A children of God. And that that ought to take their breath away if they were to grasp the connection between what used to be you barely said his name to now you're going to call him Papa, Father, Daddy. I came across some children's kind of off-the-cuff comments when they were asked about the nature of love and the nature of kind of man-woman relationships. Don't you love the unfiltered responses that kids give? So here's one kid, Greg, age eight. He was asked about love. He said, quote, love is the most important thing in the world, but baseball's pretty good too. <laughs> May, age nine, she says, um, talking about the whole 
man-woman relationships. I'm not sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. (laughs) Spoken like a nine-year-old. Michelle, age nine, said, hey, the person is thinking, yeah, I really do love him, but I hope he showers at least once a day. And then Regina, age 10, says, I'm not rushing into being in love. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. (laughs) How about this one? So Dave, age 8, says, love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five. But the girls keep finding me. You ever thought about what the human heart does when it doesn't find and experience love? Think about this. When the human heart, you know, all the studies developmentally about how a child at a very early age needs to experience a sense of love from a parent. When, you, when your heart doesn't experience love, you, you kind of go what Dave age eight does. You kind of go into running and hiding mode sometimes. Or sometimes you just pour yourself into your work and you're going to accomplish a bunch of stuff and you're going to prove you are worth loving. Or sometimes you just kind of bounce from one relationship to the next because you're secretly longing to find someone who will cherish you and not just use you. Sometimes you go the escapist route when your heart doesn't find love and you just kind of lose yourself. You kind of medicate and numb the ache of incompleteness in here in a 12-pack or a few bottles of wine. You just say, I'm going to make it go away. Sometimes you get really, really religious. Or sometimes you just buy a whole bunch of stuff because you're going to demonstrate that there's value and worth in what you can achieve, accomplish, or accumulate. And therefore, in your head, think, oh, I'm worth loving then. And sometimes you just adopt a spirit of resignation where you just go, you know what? Maybe this is how life's going to be. And you slide down this slope of despair. But 1 John chapter 3 says, there's another way to live in all of this. So 1 John 3 is saying, you can live as Abba's child. So here's the love you can experience. You can stand under the waterfall of God's unconditional love. Hear this now. The kind of love that isn't dependent on you or me. The kind of love that's received, not achieved. You stand under the waterfall of his love and you recognize that regardless of how you've lived or what you've wandered into or how long you've wandered into it or how worthy of that love you feel, here's what you see. 1 John chapter 4 says, before we loved him, John says what? He loved us. Boy, anybody grateful for that this morning? That before we ever loved him, he forever loved us. I'm going to say that again. Before we ever loved him, he forever loved us. The moment you turn your face towards God the Father, here's what you'll find. His face has always been turned towards you in love. And Jesus says this. He said, hey, I'm calling my father Abba, and I'm inviting anyone into this kind of a relationship. Jesus says, you can join me in living as Abba's child. 
What an unbelievable declaration. Which means you actually belong in his house. To live as his child means you belong in his house. So this morning I want to talk about kind of three realities of what it means to live as Abba's child from these three verses. Certainly not an all-inclusive list, but at least these three verses say three things when you choose to live as Abba's child. The first thing is there's the reality of a new identity. You're embracing a new identity when you live as Abba's child. You know, some of your translations in 1 John 3, the very first verse says, behold, behold, meaning it's kind of a, it's a verb, it's a word that says, it's taking your breath away. It's a word that means astonishment. It's John saying, behold, I've got something to tell you that literally you should sit down because of the impact of this. Behold, you are called Abba's child. You are a child of the most high God means you're beyond like being forgiven. You're beyond being saved. You're beyond being a servant. You're actually, John Salbier, you're called a child. And God's gonna be called your father. And he's saying, behold, brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus introduced and made available to us. I put in your notes a lengthy list. I thought maybe you'd wanna keep it for your own reference there, but just a, a smattering across the scriptures of who you are in Christ. So in Christ, this is your identity. Track with me here. In Christ, you are chosen, called, reconciled to God, redeemed by God, born again, regenerated, made righteous, justified, adopted, sanctified, forgiven, accepted, crucified, buried, raised with Christ, born of the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit, and dwelt by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit. You're in God, in Christ, and in the Spirit. You're dead to the law, delivered from the law. You're rescued from darkness. You're a new creation, member of his body, part of his bride, a saint, his inheritance, a heavenly citizen, an ambassador for Christ, light in the Lord, a child of the Most High. Oh, I wish I could describe it to you. That is who you are. That is your identity as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus. And here's the journey now. So the rest of your life, once you grasp who you are, once you become clear with your identity, then you start living based upon who you are. You become in character who you already are in identity. The Bible word for that is discipleship. You spend the rest of your life integrating your everyday life to reflect who you really are. In other words, you become who you already are. You tracking with me? Because that's who you are. That's not dependent on you. That list is God the Father saying, you enter my house, I give you this blessing in Jesus' name. You receive this, and based upon this grace that you have received, this identity now that's a part of who you are, you live accordingly. And that's why I think as followers, as Christians, we get a whole lot farther down the road if we spend less time talking about behavior management and more time talking about identity. Follow me here, right? Because in church circles, we can get all about the do's and don'ts and just managing a checklist of behaviors. And behavior does matter to God, but I think that's secondary to what's primary. Primary is whose house do you belong to? Whose child are you? Are you gonna live in such a way to honor and represent that family name well? That list on your note sheet, that's who you are. And so Jesus says, you live according to who you are. Do you see the implication for parenting here? Parents, track with me for a moment. 
in the parenting circles during the younger years, right? During these young formative years, like all these children before us. Of course, as parents, we spend an inordinate amount of time, a ton of energy goes into just managing and coaching behavior, right? And it's important. You try to keep them out of danger on this and you just feel like, I just want you to obey, you young little life, just obey. It's not like they handed you to me in the new family life center and I just said, as a parent, I can't wait to wreck your life. No parent says that. And we just want our kids to trust us and say, I'm not trying to wreck your life. I'm just trying to help you. But in those young years, it's primarily about just kind of managing and coaching behavior because that's developmentally where they are. But follow me now. As they move into adolescence and into those teen years and some of those difficult transitions, they start growing up as a young adult, as a young person. They start owning their own faith. They start becoming more independent. Here's the transition we have to go through as parents. We have to move from obeying mom and dad because he or she said so, because mom and dad said so. You transition to, I'm going to obey and say yes or no to this based upon who I am as a child of the Most High God. Do you see that transition? Now, that takes some releasing as parents. That means you're going to have to let your kids make some mistakes along the way and come to some conclusions that they're going to learn from their pain. If you helicopter as a parent and shield them from all the painful experiences in this life, do you know what you're also shielding them from? Real life. (laughs) Because at some point, you aren't going to be able to shield them from all that, and then they're going to run into real life, which you're going to find out real life at times really does hurt. And when I mess up, there are consequences, and I need to take personal ownership of that. So you want to transition as a parent from just managing and coaching behavior, and you want to move to the place where their behavior is in line with their identity, that they're saying yes and no to things based upon who they are in Jesus. And that's when you know you're making great headway as mom and dad. And that's why in your mentoring and coaching of your kids along the way, your family devotional conversations, dinner table, bedtime, in the younger years are going to look a certain way. A lot of coaching and managing behavior, basics. When as they get older, it's got to move into this kind of a list we've got there. Identity. You're Abba's child. You're saved. You're sealed. You're reconciled. You're redeemed. You're in Christ. You're in God. You're in the Spirit. What does that mean? That means now from that base of who you are, you live a certain way because that's the household in which you belong. Are you tracking with me here? And then obviously as an adult, right? If your Christian life is primarily driven by just managing your checklist, that may be an indication of why it's a a struggle and a burden and a weight you feel like. You've got the 30-pound sandbag on your shoulders from last week, and John said last week his commands are not burdensome. How could he say that? Because he's grasped his identity as a child of God, and of course he's going to live differently. He is going to obey God's commands, but from a base of his actions flowing out of his identity. Not his actions trying to earn some approval rating with God. So the first reality of living as Abba's child is you're embracing a new identity. And secondly, you're embracing a guaranteed destiny. Back to verse 2 now. Look at verse 2. Do you see the destiny-oriented language in verse 2? Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. Anybody else say amen to that verse? What I hear John saying is, hey, who you are in Jesus, you're not who you used to be. Amen to that? Anybody grateful for that? You're not who you used to be since you found Jesus, but don't stop there. John says, 
you're not yet who you're going to be. Whoo, hallelujah to that one. Right? Look what he says in there. It says, not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know what I hear John saying there? There's a process in this destiny-oriented living. Do you know we're all in process in this? So let's relax on the journey of being in process. You're not who you used to be, hallelujah, and you're not yet who you're going to be, hallelujah. You're somewhere in between. But here's what shapes it. The ground of that living in between is a destiny-oriented living. There's a guaranteed destiny you have when you live as Abba's child. Like when Hunter got that phone call last night at 11 with his grandmother, in the midst of the grief that for sure hit him at that moment, there was also what the scripture describes as a, a grieving that has hope in it. You grieve as one with hope. That's what 1 Thessalonians says. We're not a people who grieve without hope in Jesus. This week, I took one of those phone calls from a member of the congregation because he had just sat by his father's bed and held his father's hand this week as his father drew his last breaths of life in this life. And he wanted to talk. It was a sacred moment. I cherished those conversations. And I just listened to him describe the scene I don't think he'd ever sat by someone who took their last breath of life, let alone his own father. And thankfully, he died in Jesus. He died as Abba's child. And so we were able to talk together about John 8, 51, when Jesus said, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Who do you know who could say such things? Only Jesus can say that. Who looks you in the eye and says, hey, you keep my word, you're never going to see death. What does that mean? Obviously not more than physical death. His dad physically died. What that means is somewhere around that hour when his father's lungs filled with air one last time and his father's heart beat one last beat and he's holding that hand and he realizes his dad's life is slipping away. Right there at that moment, Jesus came and took him and he went from this life to that life in a moment, guaranteed destiny as Abba's child. He didn't even see it. This life to that life. That's why I say as Abba's child, you don't go from life to death. You go from life to life. That's your guaranteed destiny. You go from this life to that life. And you're like Hunter's grandmother at 93. You rejoice because the longer you go in this life, the more you long for your true home. You long to go home. Do you realize that's why we're never going to quite get life here settled down and oriented the way we want to? Have you noticed this with God? He enjoys taking our lives and never letting us get all the pieces in place exactly as we want them to. If you work really hard, right, you try to get work front, home front, personal front, health front, spiritual front, you're trying to get all these plates exactly as you are, and then God blows the whistle and everyone jumps out of the pool. Have you noticed this with God? He's like, what is, what's up with that, Lord? You know, a part of it is this, because he knows this about us. If we get everything down here settled exactly as we want to get it settled, here's what we're going to get. Far too comfortable with this life. And we'll lose our longing for our true home. If you're trying to harvest out of this 70, 80, 90 years, Zoe, absolute fullness of life, you are in for an ache of incompleteness. Because this life was never intended to be that. This life was intended to train us, to train us for the day when we will reign and rule with him in glory. So this 70, 80, 90 years, however many the Lord gives us, is a training ground 
a training ground to a destiny-oriented living. And do you notice the stark difference in being beside the bed of someone near the end of their life who's living securely as Abba's child and one who's not? As a pastor, I've seen many, and it's a stark contrast. The peace and the hope and the joy of Abba's child, even at the end of their life. It doesn't mean they're free from suffering. Bodies struggling, pain can be intense, but there's something below the surface of all the physical pain and struggle. There's something called a guaranteed destiny that they have in Jesus. There's a, a Zoe kind of life. There's a river of life flowing in here, and they know where they're going. The grounds of their, their identity rest in their destiny, not their history or their current reality. And that's how someone can navigate all the mess of trying to live through this life. This life is tough. Life is hard. It's hard enough with Jesus. I have no idea how people navigate decades without him. It's difficult with him in it. What you find is Jesus says, I'm not going to exempt you from the suffering. I'm going to give you companionship in that hard time. And I'm so grateful for that, are you not? When you're sitting beside and you're having those moments and you get that phone call and whether a job that's pulled out from under you or a family member who's passing away or a marriage that's on the rocks, it's, it's, it's like, I will be with you in that. And the guaranteed destiny as Abba's child is the grounds of your identity are not your current reality or your history, it's your destiny. It's living as a destiny-oriented people versus someone who comes to the end of their life and isn't quite sure what they believe about God, faith, life to come, there is a fear and an insecurity that begins to ravage those hearts and it changes completely the final few days, weeks, and months of their life. Versus someone, though, who may be struggling physically has a tremendous confidence that when they take their last breath here, they live in the Father's house who's gone to prepare a room for them and they will awaken to their true home. And all the years they spent here were training for an eternal life there. That's a new identity that flows into a guaranteed destiny when you live as Abba's child. And then thirdly and finally, the third reality is a practical purity. Look at verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So from this new identity based on a guaranteed destiny, the outflow of that is a practical purity. The outflow of it is your life is going to increasingly reflect the father of the household into which you've been brought. You've been adopted into the family of Jesus. Like these families who stood before us, right? We're raised in a family of origin, and even the best of our families of origin are broken. Parents, no matter how well you strive to do as a parent, you realize your best efforts are still broken. And our kids are going to inherit some of our brokenness as parents. So the transition with Jesus is what you have to unlearn some things from your family of origin as you're adopted into the family of Jesus. And in the family of Jesus, you learn how things are supposed to be. And you hope as parents in Jesus, you're modeling some of those things. You're doing your best too. But there's always a level of brokenness. And the practical purity for people living as Abba's child is your life, decade after decade, increasingly reflects the kind of life 
the father reflects, the priorities he keeps, the values he has. You know, I grew up in central Iowa, so we had snowstorms like the Northeast had. We had those that seemingly back when I was a kid, much more often than they have today. And we had this backyard that kind of looked like this picture here. When the snow would hit really, really big, the drifts would get so deep in our backyard, and my brother and I would want to go out and play, of course. But the drifts would get so deep that dad needed to go out and make a path in the snow for us to be able to get to the hill we wanted to play on. Because we couldn't just navigate all those drifts on our own. The snow would just like come up here and we would just get stuck. But what my brother and I did is dad would take his footprints like that. And if we put our feet where dad had put his feet, we could get to where we needed to go. Now, because we were young and rebellious, and you've heard many stories about that through the years here, you Eagle veterans, we would often stray off of dad's path because we were convinced we knew better, that there was a better way and a more fun way to get where we needed to go. And more often than not, we'd only get a few feet, and we were stuck, and we'd have to holler back to dad to, hey, come bail us out, dad, and dad would give us the same kind of lecture that I'm sure some of you have given your children. Say, hey, stick to the path. Follow my steps. I'm, I'm out here in the freezing cold, in the snow, helping you get to the hill. Here's how you're going to get to the hill. Keep putting your feet where I put my feet. That's what it means to live as Abba's child in practical purity. You keep putting your feet where the Father puts his feet. You keep walking in his ways. You keep tracing his footprints. And over the course of time, of course you're not going to do it perfectly. You know what you're going to do? You're going to do what my brother and I did. You're going to stray off the path. You're going to get lodged in some snowdrift. You're going to fall on your face. That's part of the learning process. That's part of what we talked about earlier, right? It's a journey of, in Jesus, you're changed and you're changing. That's an image I want you to have of the Christian life. You're changed and you're changing. The identity piece, that's how you're changed. Instantaneously, that stuff happens. And then you're in the process of changing. That's discipleship. That's spiritual formation. You're becoming in character who you already are in identity. And guess what? The longer you live trying to navigate the snowdrifts of life on your own, guess what? It's going to take you a while to learn how to put your feet where the Father put his feet. Because you're used to going it on your own and kind of doing it your own way and falling face down in your own snowdrifts. And aren't you grateful that God never gave up on you just like he never gave up on me? You're here as a testimony to that. He found you in plenty of snow banks, picks you up, dusts you off, sets your feet on his footprints and says, hey, stick with me now. That's the practical purity. You see that? That flows out of a life that's grounded in a new identity that's guaranteed in a destiny. That's what it means to live as Abba's child. So whatever vision and view you had of the kind of God that's inviting you into relationship through Jesus, Jesus says, I want to present a new paradigm. I want to give you a new relationship. I want to give you a parent-child relationship. Regardless of the brokenness of your family of origin, here's what's available to you. God the Father inviting you into his house and adopting you into his family in Jesus' name and guaranteeing you an identity, a destiny, and a purity. That's what it means to live as Abba's child. And that invitation is open to anyone at any time, no matter the background. That's why John says, behold, I've got something that'll take your breath away. You can be called a child of the Most High God.
you can be a part of his house. And so this week, here's going to be our assignment this week, kind of putting this into practice, right? Each week, we're working on the Lenten journey. Two minutes of stillness and silence every day. Keep working that muscle. Keep at it, even if it's been a complete failure in your mind about how that's going. Start new tomorrow morning. Two minutes, silent stillness somewhere each day. Something with scripture reading, the daily Lent readings that are being pushed to you. And then here's the kind of breath prayer I want to introduce this week. You ever practiced breath prayer before? So here's your breath prayer for the week. So all the breaths you take this week, you get to work as you inhale, right? Inhale in Jesus. Exhale, I'm Abba's child. Inhale in Jesus. Exhale, I'm Abba's child. I want to see how often this week through just our breathing we can pray that. So wherever you're at this week and you just catch yourself kind of paying attention to your breathing, take the inhale and you say, in Jesus, take the exhale and say, I'm Abba's child. And we're going to work that all week long and then text your Lent groups and let the folks know how that's going. All right, let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this declaration from John. Thank you that in the midst of all of the images we have of the names of God and the character of God, thank you for this one the Abba Father image. Jesus, thank you for presenting that to us, for giving us a picture of what it means to live in your house. Ground us in our identity, open our eyes, and give us the hope of our destiny. And then practically, would you help us live out a life that is increasingly reflecting who we are and how we're to live, that our purity, Lord, that identity, destiny, and purity would mark our life as Abba's children. So in Jesus, I'm Abba's child. And if there's some here this morning and you recognize, hey, you've never really made that decision, you can just choose to do that right now. You can just say, Jesus, here's how, to belong. Here's how you become Abba's child. Just say, Jesus, save me. That's all you have to say. Jesus, save me. I've been trying to go it on my own, on my own way, on my own terms for a long time. And now I'm going to start putting my feet where the Father put his feet. So save me, forgive me, lead me, fill me with your spirit. I want to be Abba's child. You can just pray that right where you're at and call out to him. And thank you that for all of eternity... We get to live in your house. And we thank you for your grace that is patient with us as we strive week after week to have our everyday life reflect more and more of who we already are. In Jesus' name, amen. In your bulletin, there's a comment card. You can tear that off if you prayed with